My name is David Emery, and I'm Senior Minister of Middletown Christian Church. For those of you who may be here today for the first time, I want to welcome you, and you picked a very special day to be here. We're wrapping up a sermon series called Hope Rising, and today we're, we're concluding the series by talking about adversity. And I'm not going to spend much time talking about David Pageants, um, who he is as a person. You're already very familiar with David. But to give him the most time possible, let, let's just all stand up now at this moment and show our appreciation for David Paget being here this morning. Just want to thank David for the opportunity and for everybody for coming today, most importantly. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was on a little vacation down in Florida and had a voicemail from him when I got back to the room. And he said, uh, basically put me on the spot, said, do you want to do a sermon? I said, excuse me? Uh, <laughs> you know, because growing up, I can count on one hand the number of times I probably went to church. And not because I came from a you know, sacrilegious family or anything like that. We just, you know, we, my parents were both raised in a religious household. Uh, they had my older sister baptized when, when she was young. And, um, you know, we just kind of got away from it the older we got. But uh, my wife and I have been coming here for a while now. As David mentioned, he, he married us down in Florida. Uh, he married uh, Scott and Shannon here. Um, so, you know, been very close with him. And, for the last couple of weeks, every Thursday, before I picked my oldest son, Nolan, who you guys saw up here from school, uh, we, we, were, we would visit for about an hour, hour and a half, and just talk about different things, and he would ask questions, and you know, we just talked, kind of spent some time getting to know each other, talk about a lot of stuff, and it, it was a lot of fun. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? I, you know, I'm not, a, not exactly a preacher or anything like that. And he said, well, you know, just go up there and talk, whatever's important to you, uh, you know, just kind of tell a story. So uh, I said, all right. And, Woke up, uh, my sleeping habits are terrible, but I woke up about five days ago, five o'clock in the morning, and actually it was funny, I had a dream about kind of this rehearsal in my mind. I was, I was talking, so on and so forth. So I woke up, I ran downstairs, I got my laptop, and I just started typing away on some things just because I didn't want to forget them. But, you know, I, I just, I said in the first session that if somebody in here today can walk away, maybe just take one thing I say and apply it to something that they, they face, then hey, it's been a productive day. So you know, I didn't want it to seem like I'm up here giving a, you know, a motivational speech to a huge entity or a corporation or anything like that, and I don't want to come up here and just tell a boring story all about me, but I just want to kind of relay some things that David asked me to that, that I believed. And you know, he, was, he was scrambling to write down everything we were talking about the first day. He was like, man, this is good stuff. Keep going, keep going. He's like, have you ever... Have you ever written any of this stuff down? I go, no. He goes, well, you need to. So he emailed it to me, and I kind of printed it out and made some notes here, and I got a book I'm going to reference. But, you know, it, adversity is, is something we face every single day, a lot more probably than we realize. Uh, this morning, you saw our two boys. I mean, trying to get them out of the house was a disaster. I mean, our oldest son, Nolan, you, you might have seen he had these sandals on. Well, we, wanted, we ordered a new pair of shoes for him. They're kind of like boat shoes. And he went to put them on this morning. He goes, they hurt my feet, which, okay, understandable. You're not supposed to wear them with socks. He's four. He doesn't understand that. So his feet were hurting. So we got to go to plan B. Well, I am tearing the house apart looking for this other pair of shoes. I mean, checked his room. I took this basket that's probably the size of that speaker that's full of shoes and clothes, just threw it all over the living room floor. When we get home, I mean, it looks like a bomb went off in our living room. But, you know, that's adversity. It sounds crazy, but that's adversity. My brother-in-law, Chris, is here, and, and he's facing some adversity right now. He's got a major hawk epidemic going on in his backyard. He's got a hawk that came down and tried to get his dog when he was taking it out for a walk one morning. So now Chris goes out every morning with a tennis racket in one hand and a BB gun in the other hand to try to keep the hawk from killing his dog. So 
that's adversity. And, you know, we have adversity like that, but then we have kind of what I guess I would call real adversity. You know, it was about two months ago, I was sitting in the second row right there when we were putting Scott to rest, my brother-in-law, Scott Crawford. And that, that was adversity. I mean, sitting right behind Shannon and Caitlin and, uh, you know, Carrie's here and Dorn's here and Scott's sister and father. And, you know, that's adversity. Uh, I remember uh, this was six years ago, getting a call from when I lived in Indianapolis from my dad. Uh, he just got diagnosed with prostate cancer. And they caught it early. He beat it. He was able to beat it. Um, getting, finding out last April about Scott being diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Uh, finding out in October, about two weeks after I took over at L, that my uncle, who I'm very, very close with, was very close with, got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And, you know, that's, that's real adversity. So I think one of the biggest things we need to do when we, when we come across adversity is, okay, what is it? You know, is it, is it something major? Is it something minor? Nonetheless, it's adversity, but what is it? I think that's, a, that's the first step and it teaches us how to maybe deal with it a little bit better. So I put together a couple slides here and I'm not gonna just read them like bullet points, but like I said, there's, I think a lot of times we face adversity and we have problems in our daily life and we say, we make a bigger deal about it than it is. We're all guilty of it. I'm very guilty of it. But if we can just remember, there's not a whole lot of things in life that are life and death. I mean, it, it, a lot of the adversity that we come across is really not as big of a deal maybe as we make it out to be. You know, just having to, you know, deal with some of the death that both sides of my family have been dealing with the last couple of months, that's, that's real adversity. You know, it, uh, my wife, Megan, has a cousin, Richard, who is in the armed forces and has worked his way up very quickly and spends significant amount of his time overseas and his wife Emily and, and their kids she, half the time she doesn't even know where he is because he can't tell her uh, she, she doesn't know where he is because he's not allowed to communicate with her call her and you know I, th I think a lot of times about keeping things in perspective you know I, I'm not a very emotional person um, I don't even think my wife's ever even seen me cry and it's funny some of the very few times I actually have gotten choked up over the years is before a big game be standing there for the national anthem and they'll show up on the video board, they'll show an, an army base or an air force base or something overseas somewhere and there's a group of um, whoever it may be is sitting there watching our game. And to me, th that, is, that is very meaningful and that is real adversity. You know, it, those people over there defending our country have to wake up every day worrying about whether or not they're gonna make it through the day. And to me, that is major adversity. So. The reason I bring that up is a lot of times when we come across minor problems, major problems, you gotta keep things in perspective. You know, it's, somebody asked me at one of my press conferences towards the end of the year this year, well, how did you handle everything this year? And I said, and I probably alienated, not alienated, but probably irritated a lot of people that are UofL fans or whatever it may be. I said, look, is this a big time job? Of course it is. Is it life or death? No, it's not, okay? It's basketball. I mean, at the end of the day, it was a very unique situation, but I was, I had the opportunity to coach a basketball team. And you know, with everything that I went through on my dad's side of the family and with, with Shannon and that side of the family, that is real life adversity. And, and so just keeping everything in perspective and um, you know, in this state of all states in the country, it's probably hard for a lot of people to actually fathom that basketball is just a game, but it really is. I mean, it's just, it's a sport. And just because we went down to Lexington and just got absolutely destroyed by 30, you know, like life wasn't going to end. It wasn't the end of the world. I mean, and it's, 
there's, there's two things we can do when we come to adversity. Okay. How do we view it, but what are we gonna do about it? Are we gonna let it affect us in a positive way, or are we gonna let it affect us in a negative way? And that's a big decision we have to make. So, for example, now that we're on basketball, we go to Lexington, we get beat really bad on national television, everybody's writing us off, why does this 32-year-old take over, so on and so forth, I'm sure it was all out there. So what did we do? We had the three best practices of the entire season, and we opened up with a 30-something point home win against Pitt, and then went down to Florida State a couple days later, and ended their 33-game home winning streak. So we took adversity, and we turned it into a positive. And it, it was very easy, I said this at the time, it would have been very easy for our players to say, the season, you know, big rivalry game, we got killed, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were, season's over, let's throw in the towel, let's just get through it. No, we didn't do that. We kept fighting, we kept fighting, we got better, and to me, that's how you deal with it. You got two choices. You can either go one way or the other. It's pretty simple. You know, the old adage, or the old saying, come to a fork in the road, you're going to go one way or the other. Well, with adversity, I think that's kind of the, the same thing. So another thing I try to really focus on, and it's something I've had to get a lot better at because I'm someone who worries about stuff that I shouldn't, I've gotten a lot better at it, but not worrying about stuff that you can't control. We have enough things in our daily life, whether it's family, uh, kids, job, health, certain things, we need to put a lot of our time and energy into. So why are we going to put our time and energy into something that we can't control? If we can't change the outcome, then why do we even care in the first place? You know, and it sounds crazy, it might sound like a cliche a little bit, but it's true. If we can't change the outcome in our our, if we put every waking second of energy and time and everything that we have into what we're worried about and we can't change the outcome, well then what was the point of wasting the energy on it? And so not worrying about things that you can't control to me is huge. And we have a lot of stuff in life that we will worry about that we shouldn't, but trying to get better at that on a daily basis is something that I really believe in. Another thing I think that's really important besides that is trying to take the emotion out of it. A lot of times we get faced with a situation where we gotta make a decision on something. And Human nature is, okay, let's make a spontaneous decision based on emotion, and more times than not, it's probably not gonna be the right one. So if the luxury of time is afforded to you and you can sit back or sleep on it and think about it, get input from other people, talk to other people about it, that's usually the best route. There were so many times this season when something came up or basketball-wise, whatever it may be, I wouldn't make a decision. I would call you know, people in the coaching profession that I'm close with, talk to my my parents a lot, obviously my dad being a longtime coach, talked just to a lot of people, talked to people that don't know anything about basketball just to get their input, put all that together, and then say, okay, now am I making the right decision? That way you take the emotion out of it because sometimes we just make decisions based on emotion and we end up regretting what we do. So kind of moving on here. This to me, the last slide, which we'll get to after this, is, is the most important one, but this is probably 1A, living in the present. So September 29th, day after my wife's birthday, I get thrown into the ringer, and I got to take over this program. Uh, you know, very, very good team, very experienced team returning in one of the most interesting times in the history of college basketball with all this stuff that's going on. And here I am in front of media contingent about this big over at some small building over at UofL. I can't even see my hand in front of my face because there's so many camera lights. People are firing questions at me. I mean, I'm saying, okay, what the hell did I just agree to do? Well, I mean. <laughs> I just want to go home, it's Friday, I just want to go sit on the couch and relax, and here I am. Well, I had to really just teach myself for the last seven months to, okay, just live one day at a time. Wake up at whatever time you wake up, what do I have to do today? Don't worry about yesterday, the only thing from yesterday I can take away is learning experiences, but don't think about tomorrow. Think, okay, I got to get the kids to school, I got to, uh, you know, 
do something for my wife. I gotta do this in practice. I gotta do this in workouts. I gotta meet with this person. I gotta talk to this person on the phone. Just kind of mapping out the day and just trying to live in the present because there's a saying, it's in a, it's in a song. I think it's in a couple songs. Somebody I know said it to me a few months ago and it stuck with me. Yesterday is history and tomorrow's a mystery. And I, I'm a firm believer in that because it kind of goes back to don't worry about what you can't control. You can't control what happened yesterday because it's over with. So why worry about it? Just learn from it. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so don't put any effort into that. Just what is in front of me today? Okay, after this, I gotta, we're having a birthday party for my youngest son, Gavin, who turns two on Friday, so that's what we got to do today. I have no idea what I'm going to do tomorrow. And I don't need to because I'm focused on today. And kind of going along, you know, what's the task in front of us is with, with practice, okay, I would sit down every day and say, okay, who do, who do we play next? What do we have to do to get ready for this game? What do we have to do in practice? What drills do we do? What offenses, defense, so on and so forth that we have to go over, and we're going to focus on that today. And at the end of it, if we got better, great. If we didn't, then we got to learn why we didn't get better and get ready for the next day. So just taking it one day at a time. I mean, I said that a hundred times this year to the media, and people thought I was just saying it over and over, but I really firmly believed it. And it's just, I think that's very, very important in our daily lives. In life, a lot of times, it's easy for us to play the what-if game, you know, the coulda, woulda, shoulda. And to me, there is zero point in doing that because again it goes back to well we can't change it so why why worry about it why say well maybe we should have done this differently should I call the timeout at the end of the Virginia game when we had the ball with 0.9 seconds left I probably should have yes and the outcome would have been a lot differently but I can't go back and change it so I'm not going to worry about it now that game got over about 10 15 on a Thursday night I don't think I left my office at the arena until about 12 30 and there was nobody else in there with me I just sat there and stared at the wall for two hours and you know, Megan was probably like, what is he doing? Is he okay? And, um, but again, what if? Okay, what if I would have called a timeout? What if so-and-so would have happened? What if so-and-so? I'm sure Tony Bennett, the head coach of Virginia, who I've become very close with, what if they would have, what if they would have lost to us? They wouldn't have had to play UMBC in the first round of the NCAA tournament, and they probably could have gotten to the Final Four. What if? Well, it didn't happen, so here we are. Why worry about it? And, you know, I actually ran into Tony Bennett at the Final Four in San Antonio, and we were laughing about it. He goes, if you could, if you guys would have beat us, we wouldn't have had to play them, and then, you know, we'd probably be playing in the Final Four, so thanks a lot. And, you know, we were <laughs> laughing about it, but, um, you know, it's, the what-if game just, it serves no purpose. It really doesn't, and I believe that, because you can't change what has happened, and there's no point in beating yourself up over it. So, you know, not playing the what-if game, obviously, is very, very important. Putting others first, I think, is big. And in my profession, it's easy to do, because I have to, I don't have to do it, but when you coach a team, you have to put them first because they're what matters. And I was, I grew up in a household that was basketball from the day I was born. My grandfather was a long time, he played in college at Oregon State. He was a long time college coach. My dad played in college. He was a long time high school coach. My sister played at college. Uh, she was, is a high school coach. So, you know, basically I didn't have a choice. They were going to disown me if I didn't get into the coaching profession. But, uh, you know, some of my dad's best friends growing up were guys who played for him when he was first getting into high school coaching. They're a little bit younger than him, not by much, but they're still some of his best friends to this day. And I always said, you know, yeah, a lot of my friends in high school and stuff were just my friends, but it's funny. I was texting yesterday with, with Ray Spalding, Dang Adele, Honest, Q, those guys who are all gone now trying to, to move on to professional ranks, and I will have their rela relationships with them for as long as, as I live. And it's funny. I felt like I tried to do my best to put them first this year. And so what do they do when I'm texting with them? I'm obviously asking them how they're going, but they might not give me one or two line answers. Then they automatically say, how are you doing? What's next with you? Like they want to know more about me. And 
I know they're gonna be successful in life because they were putting me ahead of them and it, it just, it means a lot. And just putting other people first, I think is, is important sometimes when you face adversity because again, natural tendency is to maybe get a little bit selfish and say, okay, how's this gonna affect me? What do I need to do? Well, no. There's always gonna be other people involved. Any adversity we had this year, our players are gonna be involved, so what do I need to do for them? And I told myself three things every single day this year. Be yourself, be honest with your team, do what's in the best interest of your players. And I tried to live by that every single day. And did it help us win or lose games? Maybe, maybe not. But at the end of the day, when I was able to go to sleep, I felt like I did right by them, and that was the most important thing to me. So kind of moving on to the, to the last slide here, which I want to spend more time on than I did in the first uh, sermon, is the, the power of being positive, I think, is the most underappreciated thing in life. I think positivity is the most powerful tool there is in life. I really believe that. And, you know, it's... Not to, not to jump ahead to the last line here about laughter, but we played at Virginia on whatever day that was in January. It was a Wednesday. Um, come to find out after the game, my uncle had passed away. And I knew it was very, very difficult for my dad, and my dad's not a very emotional person. But the first thing I tried to do was say, okay, how can I cheer him up? How can I make him laugh? And so I did, the next day I sent him a couple text messages about funny stories of my uncle. My uncle used to drive about, 80 miles one way for, for his job because where his job was was kind of outside of Reno and he wanted to live in Reno, which is a better place to live. So he, he drove about 160 miles around trip every single day. So he would text me, my uncle would about once a month just with a, well at first it started out with a, a uh, five digit number, then it moved to six and it was the mileage on his car. And he had to get a new car about once a year and it was just an ongoing joke because you know, it was just having to drive that far every day and I would remind my dad about that and it made him laugh. And I just think laughter is, is really, really important when we face adversity. You know, three weeks to the day later, we're in Durham, North Carolina, we're getting ready to play Duke and uh, I get to call or text from Megan that Scott had passed away. And so we go to the game, obviously it didn't go very well. A lot of 30 point losses in my, my speech today, which is not good, but uh, we played at Virginia Tech on Saturday, three days later. So we had already decided we were gonna stay on the road. There's no point in coming home and going right back to basically where you were. So we practiced on the road, um, went up to Virginia Tech on Saturday, got a great win. We came home, it was a, a fairly early game, so we got home pretty early. And it was the first chance I, I was gonna get to see Shannon. And she was at uh, Ron and Lynn's house. So I, I driving over there, I'm like, all right, Whatever you do, just try to make her laugh. Like that's all, that was my whole goal the whole time, just try to make her laugh. So, you know, we get there, or I get there, um, and everybody obviously was very, very sad, but I just tried to make her laugh. And I think about, I think there were five or six of us later, probably about six or seven bottles of red wine later, we were all laughing a lot. But, you know, to me, that just is important. It was a really, really tough time for her, and I just wanted to make her laugh. Same thing with my dad. I just, I wanted to make him laugh in tough times. And I try to do that, you know, even in petty situations, really tough, adverse situations, just try to make people laugh. Because I think laughter is, is, is a very, very powerful thing. I think it's a very, very good thing. And the more we laugh, the more positive we are, the more we realize that maybe the adversity we're facing is not as big as we thought it was. And, you know, a lot of times when we face adversity or even, even not, we spend a lot of time on maybe what we don't have. You know, I, I woke up one time during the season at 3 a.m. because my mind was racing. So I go downstairs, I turn on the TV, and there was a show on some random channel about, it was called Selling Yachts, and it follows these people that go around and buy these multi-million dollar yachts. And I'm sitting to myself thinking, well, yeah, obviously it'd be really nice to have that. But 
you know, there's a lot of stuff in life that we say, oh, we wish we could have had. Well, there's times where I'm sure every single day Shannon wakes up and says, I wish Scott was still here. We all do. I'm sure my dad wakes up every single day and says, I wish Jimmy, his brother, was still here, and we all do. Obviously, we're going to be sad, but I like to think more along the lines of, well, let's not focus on what we don't have. Let's focus on what we have or what we had the opportunity to have. And think about all the great memories about my uncle. Think about all the great memories of Scott. And, you know, that kind of ties into my next thing about belief. Higher power will be there when we need it most and when we least expect it. And just a quick story about Scott. Megan and I were living in Indianapolis. I was assistant coach at IEPUI. She was working... um, at an interior design place, and we were making barely enough money to survive just the two of us. And all of a sudden, what do you know? Well, here's Nolan. And we needed to put him in daycare, obviously, because we had to work, and we wanted to make sure we obviously had a very good daycare. Well, it was going to be a little bit more expensive. And I said, okay, well, we're just going to have to find a way to make it work. We just are. And we're probably only going to be able to eat once every three days, maybe. We're going to lose a lot of weight, but (laughs) whatever's in the best interest of Nolan. So what did we do? We come back to Louisville for a weekend. I can't remember why, but um, we're getting in the car, getting ready to drive home, and Shannon gives Megan a, a, an envelope. We open it up about halfway. Well, it's a check from Scott for the entire year to cover the daycare. And about, I don't even know when this was. This was quite a while later. Scott and I were playing golf, and he brought it up. He goes, just so you know, I don't ever want to talk about it again. I don't ever expect to be repaid back, but that's what it is. And, you know, it's, it just kind of goes to show Everything will always work out the way it's supposed to. It always does. And, you know, we, when we were in a desperate time and we could hardly afford to survive just the two of us, now all of a sudden we have our first child, we got help when we needed it most. And, you know, about a year, or not even a year, about eight or nine months later, our coaching, we just didn't do well enough. We, we lost our jobs, and I'm sitting there scrambling, saying, okay, what are we going to do? Luckily, obviously, Megan was still able to work, but uh, we come back to Louisville. It was a Saturday morning. It was about two weeks before Derby, so it was right around this time. And my phone rings. Well, it was Coach Patino, and he offered me a job. And, you know, fast forward about four years, here I am. But he threw me a lifeline when I needed it most. And, and at that time, I was really down. I really was. I was panicked. I had a, a son. I had a wife to take care of, and I had zero idea what I was going to do. And obviously, I'm in a situation now where I'm not employed. I have no idea what's next. But based on that experience, I'm not going to worry about it as much because I know that I've been through it. And I just know that something will work out, it always does. And I always try to tell myself that. And, um, you know, the, the reason I'm holding this book is kind of talking about worrying about what you can't control. This is a book called The Obstacle is the Way. Uh, David gave it to me about two or three months ago, and it's an easy read. It's less than 200 pages it's by a guy named Ryan Holiday. And I started reading it on the plane when we were on a road trip one night, and I couldn't put it down, and I got through it in about a week. Well, there's a part in here that I think is, is there's two parts, actually. I want to get to both of them. It's really, really fascinating. The first one, it just references another book called The Gift of Fear, but it says, when you worry, ask yourself, what am I choosing to not see right now? What important things are you missing because you choose to worry over introspection, alertness, or wisdom? In other words, does getting upset provide you with more options? So back to my point about not worrying about what you can't control, what does worrying get you? And I think that's a very, very good way of putting it. And kind of going back, I got a little bit out of order here with this book, but back to my point about um, you know, choices when you come to adversity. There's another excerpt in here, a quick little story, and I'll, I'll try to get through this fairly quickly, but it's just, it, it's the introduction to the book, believe it or not, and this is kind of what caught me on the book and kept me going. It's on page six. It says, the obstacles that lie before us. It says, there's an old Zen story about a king whose people had grown soft and entitled. 
Dissatisfied with this state of affairs, he hoped to teach them a lesson. His plan was simple. He would place a large boulder in the middle of the main road, completely blocking entry into the city. He would then hide nearby and observe their reactions. How would they respond? Would they band together to remove it, or would they get discouraged, quit, and return home? With growing disappointment, the king watched as subject after subject came to this impediment and turned away, or at best, tried half-heartedly before giving up. Many openly complained or cursed the king of fortune or beam into the inconvenience, but none managed to do anything about it. After several days, a lone peasant came along on his way into town. He did not turn away. Instead, he strained and strained, trying to push it out of the way. Then an idea came into him. He scrambled into the nearby woods to find something he could use for leverage. Finally, he returned with a large branch that he had crafted uh, into a lever and deployed it to dislodge the massive rock from the road. Beneath the rock, there was a purse of gold coins and a note from the king that said, the obstacle in the path becomes the path. Never forget, within every obstacle is an opportunity to improve our condition. And I actually read that to the team before one of our games. I can't remember what game it was, but it just it, it goes to show no matter what the adversity is, whether it's trying to keep hawks from killing your dogs or if it's from losing a loved one, it's all about how we approach it. We don't want to come to it and say, okay, we can't do this, we give up, what are we going to do next? No, there's always a way. There's always a way. You know, I'm, was it easy for, for my dad with his brother or for Shannon with Scott to, to wake up the next day and say, hey, we got to keep living life? No, of course it wasn't. None of us who haven't been in that situation can relate to it, but they did. And to continue to live and every roadblock or every obstacle or brick that we come to in the way, we can't just say, okay, it's too big, we can't move it. We got to find a way. And just the power of positivity and all these things I've kind of talked about to me are just kind of, if you can keep those things in mind, I think it'll hopefully help you in a long way, whatever it may be. And like I said at the beginning, if, if even just one person in here can remember one of those things, well, then I feel like maybe I've done a little bit of a service. But, you know, I just want to thank everybody for coming today. Uh, I know there's a lot of things you could do on a Sunday, but really appreciate everybody's time. And in the uh, timing of the state of Kentucky, I guess no better way to wrap up except to say happy derby to everybody. Thank you. <laughs>